Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We hope you are well. Um, yes. We hope you <laughs> and your loved ones, everybody are well <laughs> yes we're currently well but missing each other slightly because uh, we are not able to be in the same place we are not but through the power of the internet and uh, remote access and the wonderful skills tech savvy skills of tom breeze we are able to produce this episode yeah. for you we're able to in sound like it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. We probably sound like we're, we're near each other, yeah. but we are in fact in yeah. completely different locations. We are. Secret locations. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we are coming at you during a time of unprecedented... Uh, Challenge. No idea. Challenge, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Words are difficult. They certainly are. Um, so something was going around on Twitter actually. Um, someone put, "How many times have you said unprecedented over the last few days?" And I, I think it's it's probably many, many yes. times. It's probably time to retire that now, isn't it? So it's, yeah, uh, oddly yeah, enough, in got... this uh, slot, we were going to have an episode about how great it would be as an international student to travel to Cardiff and come and train as a teacher. But we've uh, shelved that Ditched episode. It. It's a lovely <laughs> episode. It will come it out is. later. And apologies to our yeah. guests, but it just kind of didn't feel right sending that one out just at the moment. Yeah, so hopefully you'll forgive us, but hopefully you will um, you will be happy to hear that we are responding to the state of the nation, the state of the world, in fact, um, during this COVID-19 pandemic. So um, I just wanted to kind of keep you updated as to where we are at this moment in time. So as we're recording, it is Friday, the 20th of March, 2020. And it's quite a, an important day today because today is the day that um, all schools across Wales close for statutory provision. Um, this was announced by uh, our Minister for Education, Kirsty Williams, on Wednesday of this week. So schools, even though probably schools knew that this was inevitable and that it was coming, in real terms, they had a couple of days to get themselves sorted, to say goodbye to the year 11s and the year 13s. So, you know, this is actually quite a sombre day, I would imagine, for, for schools across Wales, indeed across the UK, as they, you know, in some instances close their doors. There is still a lot of information that schools are waiting for. Um, so whilst schools are closing, some are remaining open to different groups of learners. So, for example, I was just looking at a letter that went out to all schools yesterday from Welsh Government advising that school buildings remain open for learners um, who are eligible for free school meals, vulnerable learners, children of people who are immediate response workers. And of course, in tandem with this announcement, we also had the announcement that qualifications for GCSEs, so year 11 GCSEs, and A-level, so year 13, have been cancelled for the summer 2020 uh, period. There's a lot of anxiety being expressed on Twitter in and around what will, what will happen for those pupils. Um, but what we do know is that Qualifications Wales and Kirsty Williams have said that learners across Wales will be awarded a fair grade to recognise their work, drawing on the range of info available. So that's in relation to the year 11s and the year 13s. And in a slightly more niche part of the education world, something very similar has happened with trainee teachers. Our lovely student teachers uh, found that yeah. they had their placements terminated 
pretty much straight away in the middle of this week. They have discovered that all their university teaching has moved online. There's been a mass exodus from campus of all of us and quite a few of our colleagues are uh, being forced to get uh, used to a brave new world of having team meetings on a screen and delivering teaching to students, some of whom have actually flown to international locations to be home with their families so it's been yeah. a very fast moving week for a lot of us in fact i saw a quite a funny quote uh, on one of the news articles it's good that some people are still laughing in these slightly difficult times somebody saying i didn't know the mm. apocalypse would involve so much admin <laughs> Well, I think that's a fair point, actually, you know, and, and it's it's a point um, that will resonate with well-being. You know, there are a lot of regular announcements coming through, I would imagine, in all domains, probably even in the in the household, you know, as as, you know, more members of people's families are having to self-isolate, you know, as uh, as everyone in the workplace is having a different various different announcements and guidelines about how they ought to be working, changes it, for some people in paying conditions you know we've even got um you know watching the news yesterday really really fast um production of new laws to, to legislate for these circumstances so just take a moment each day to just step back and to prioritize and and just to remember that you're not going to know everything immediately you're, you're not you can't deal with everything all at once um, it's really easy to become overwhelmed at this time so just keep calm everybody would be my message it's probably also a good moment to just send a little bit of love out to our pgc students who in common i think with a lot of people out and about in the world their first reaction to basically being booted out of their schools was to take to the internet and offer to help people online with their teaching and subject expertise so that was that was just a really nice thing to see on a human level so a massive thank you to the PGC students who've been adaptable and kind and outward looking in what must have been a really really difficult couple of days this week yeah absolutely and 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 that is um you know one of many examples of practitioners um all across the education sector who you know in various channels are coming out with materials to support all the way up to you know the likes of Cambridge University Press who have made all of their higher education materials available for free um, I'm thinking from a from a subject perspective digital digital theatre plus have made their back catalogue of um, theatre recordings freely available to all drama teachers and BBC changing their scheduling so that educational programs can be can be released I mean the the response has just been incredible, hasn't it, Tom? It has. And and now what we need to do is work out how we actually work in these new conditions. In a funny sort of way, there's been such an outpouring of stuff uh, that it's almost quite difficult to know where to start. And I suppose one yeah. of the things we need to just put out there to anyone who is still responsible for teaching people is just to be aware that a bit like any other bank of resources, not everything is going to be great. Not everything is going to work for you. Um, and also that you don't have to do any of this stuff. You know, it doesn't just because it's been put out there doesn't mean that it's compulsory to use it or that it's right. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And as we would always say to our, our student teachers, you know, start with your own context, start, start with, you know, who you've got in front of you, who you actually do have access to. So, you know, if you are still connected with a, with a school, and indeed some of you might be, all of your individual circumstances will be different. But step one is to think about who who your kind of audience is. So there's been a lot of information out there and, and um, a lot of effort in thinking about our most vulnerable pupils in society and how the measures that we take in trying to help support them with their learning whilst we're many of us are in isolation is is acknowledging that they might not have the same access to technology to support as their their more advantaged learners may so it's about you know thinking quite critically about who you're able to to reach out to about what is being put out there and whether it's it's worth engaging with or whether actually you, you've you've got enough at your finger, fingertips already so it's, it's kind of finding a, a a path through all of that really generous stuff that's coming out from different channels and as ever uh, we have a very useful resource from the mighty Tom Sherrington, the legend that is Tom Sherrington, who managed to put an article up on his blog almost straight away, giving a brilliantly boiled down set of pieces of advice for Mm. anybody who's trying to get to grips with this stuff. Yes. Um, And I I really like that the first point that he makes that resonates with everything we've said so far, hopefully, is to be realistic. Um, He says that most schools will need to cater for a range of home learning, parenting environments. Some kids will have heavily involved parents who are all over it, wanting lots of info, more or less expecting it to be full, uh, a full replacement of service. And some students will be pretty much left to their own devices. So as I said a moment ago, you know, think about you know who you've got in your communities and and uh, and and target what you're doing accordingly and uh, when it comes to working remotely of course communication is the key and he points out mm. you need to keep it simple uh, and you need to have a routine people need to know when when stuff is coming out and I'm, I'm sure we're not uh, the only institution where we're just trying to get to grips with that a little bit I think the student teachers are currently moving to a situation where their main administrative job is reading an awful lot of emails coming from a lot of people and synthesizing all of the information so that's a great piece of advice is it one email every week is it one a day is it going to come out at the same time and where is it going to be is is just hugely important yeah and and we can kind of reflect on that in relation to our our own circumstances our excellent team of kind of senior uh, leaders on our programs are sending out uh, daily cobra meeting minutes <laughs> to our student teachers they're calling themselves cobra again a bit tongue-in-cheek at these difficult times but um we know uh from some of the feedback that's been put out on twitter from our student teachers and and on email that actually they're, they're really happy to receive those kind of regular um routine updates um so so tom sherrington's right i think it's it's when will it be stick with that continuity that consistency he um talks about deciding on being centralized or multi-channel um i I think he's making an important point here about how many different platforms we can actually expect learners to engage with think about a one-stop shop if possible for learners to access i've seen a lot of teachers frantically at the end of this week put out codes to access google classroom 
which is their preferred kind of one-stop shop. Here at Cardiff Met, we are trying to centralise things to to teams and we also have a virtual learning environment called Moodle. But it's interesting actually because in these times, we're, we're also seeing these platforms themselves are starting to to buckle a little bit under the weight of traffic that's going on. They certainly are. And it's well worth remembering if you're in the same country as us, if you're working in Wales, we have all got access to Microsoft Office as part of being in Wales, teachers and pupils. Now, whether your school has managed to roll that access out, uh, whether you're able to download it via Hub, um, if you can get it, it's really good because there's a huge suite of software there, including Microsoft teams which works really well for kind of remote working purposes but also a lot of creative applications as well i suspect uh, hub the welsh kind of all wales platform for education uh, online is going to get an awful lot more visitors in the coming weeks and months Mm, so you know key message there is you know think about trying to pull together um, everything that your learners need to do into one kind of centrally accessible um, platform if possible So then he talks about um, sustaining a manageable student workload. I really like this point, actually, is that, you know, in the current circumstances, can we really expect ourselves and our pupils to be working for five hours a day? And uh, I think he makes a really strong point that the answer to that is no. And I think there's been a number of people making the point that actually this is a great opportunity to rethink the balance of what sort of activities we do and how we structure our days and and whether it's actually right that that we spend all that amount of time with our noses in books or working or looking at screens and and that more time spent perhaps interacting or you know doing whatever you can do to get some fresh air even if that is just sticking your head out the window I guess uh, might be quite a good thing so it, it, this is an opportunity to ditch some kind of really baked in assumptions about how we spend our day I think yeah I think so and, and again it might be it might be useful as well to balance that up with um, trying to get yourselves into routines there's been a lot you know coming out not just from an education perspective but just from multiple channels talking about making sure that you continue good routines so get up have a shower do all the things that you would do um, in a working day um, to, to maintain your, your mental health as well and then he moves on to, well, I guess we could we could lump the next three points on the page, actually, because it's all yes. about the tasks that you create and, and finding that balance. And I think to some extent it is going to be back to the drawing board a little bit with the medium term planning, because you're going to need to make sure, for example, that you haven't got too many online tasks. It's very easy to set online tasks and, and you think they're going to go down well, but actually pupils can get sick of doing things on screen surprisingly quickly. We also need to think about the balance between our very directed tasks, our very structured things and those open-ended things. And I think for some of our subjects, that's going to involve a real kind of careful rebalancing and rethinking. And also, again, going back to that routine thing and also, I guess, the workload thing for us, whether there is some sort of structure of tasks that we can repeat, a kind of framework that we can reuse in different contexts that just gives that little sense of reassuring, um, recognisable kind of repeating of of things for the pupils yeah yeah and I think that's that's really helpful for you know parents and carers who are in a position or indeed you know um, siblings who are in a position to support their children during this time that actually 
the routine we've got to remember that they're not teachers necessarily so actually giving them um, some clear frameworks like he gives the example of reading plus questions and checking answers that will be a really useful kind of life raft I think um, for for anyone trying to support um, young people with their learning at this time too. And then once you've set all your various tasks online and offline, he does make the point that you're going to need to try and have some sort of personal contact with the students. And I suspect as time goes on, that's going to become quite important. We're going to find ways to do that. It's not going to be able to happen very often. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, we've been doing a lot of video conferencing on screens. And I don't know about you, but I find it quite tiring. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a different way of working and it's the staring at the screen for long periods of time. I actually do find it quite reassuring though and I and I think it's something that we're going to certainly be trying to do with our student teachers is, is have that, that blend so that we do have times where they can see us and, uh, and they can touch base because we've got to remember that there are a lot of people who might be in isolation at the moment who are on their own. So I think it's, it's quite useful that we keep these kind of communities going and that we do touch base. But you're right, Tom, it's it's all about kind of doing it in moderation and keeping that balance. Yeah. So um, I, aside from the Sherrington blog, I did read another blog, which uh, for the life of me, I can't find, but I'm going to, I'm just going to summarise um, some of read the points a lot from this. <laughs> recently, I know, we? it's been so much coming out <laughs> on Twitter over the last few days. But this was uh, another blog that was about, you know, what can we, what content can we actually viably expect? pupils to engage with and to and what can we expect them to kind of do during this time and this person made made the great point that actually without having you the teacher um, with them just remember your worth remember that there's a reason why you're in the classroom with them and that's because you are the expert in the classroom so actually getting them to learn anything new without you is a bit of a risk so what this person advocated was that you really kind of um, allow the time through the tasks that you set for the pupils to consolidate maybe even extend but but certainly consolidate what you've already covered with them in class so there was a lot of examples of retrieval practice um, activities um, but you know also the opportunity for them to go a bit deeper with what you've already taught them I thought that was a really sensible point yeah it's all small steps isn't it and I suspect if anything we're all going to come out of this with a better understanding perhaps enforced upon us of what teaching looks like remotely because I think we all know it's not going to look the same as when we get everybody into a room face to face and at least if we've got to look for a silver lining in this we're going to change our skill set a little bit we're going to have another set of tools in our arsenal um, for, for when we're teaching. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I think there's going to be a lot to reflect on, touch wood, when we come out of this, <laughs> but, you know, about how we how we adapt our practice going forward in light of um, what we've learned, just thinking in a positive way. You know, I'm going to be thinking a lot more confidently and positively about blended learning um, going forward on the PGC programme and maybe looking to integrate some of um, the practice that we've had to very quickly upskill ourselves in onto, you know, future future models. And maybe our to-do lists have been appended a little bit and some of those things that were always falling off the end are maybe going to be coming a little bit further upwards. I know I'm fully intending to do some reading that's been sitting on my shelf for a little while and we, we have broached the subject of maybe doing a little bit of writing. Those are the things that are always at the bottom of our list. I'm sure it's probably the same for teachers in school as well. There's those things that always fall off the end that might float to the top. 
Yeah, certainly. So, you know, that new blog that you've been meaning to start writing, that might start. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen lots of people, you know, endeavouring to learn languages. Like some of our student teachers have set up team sites so that they can practice um, their Welsh language skills with one another. It's it's really exciting. And, and there's been a lot going on in terms of, uh, you know, the, the world of music and people trying to, um, you know, achieve choral stuff together uh, over FaceTime, you know. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting and exciting um time as well as being you know shrouded in a lot of unhappiness and 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 fear and, and sadness so i think we've got to kind of try and keep the keep the positive spirit up where we can so we're just gonna suspend our discussion about global pandemics for a moment just to reassure you that we do have some substantial content to bring you in this podcast and that the time for bringing that to you is now yeah, we've got a discussion around a chapter from a book by Mary Myatt. Now, Mary Myatt is somebody who you will hear more of in a, a later episode um, from Research Ed Cymru. Uh, we'll hear her speak some words of wisdom. But this was actually a book that is our current staff book club choice. So what you're about to hear is just some of our thoughts in and around a chapter that focuses on curriculum planning. Yeah, and this is really relevant to us at the moment because obviously as curriculum for Wales people on this side of the border, it's been made abundantly clear to us that we are curriculum designers as well as curriculum deliverers. And I suppose if we can find a silver lining from the fact that we're all stuck in our houses, um, we may find that we've got a bit more time and space to ask some big questions. So what Mary Myatt does in, in this chapter, Curriculum Planning, is she does just ask us a series of really big and really important questions about what we do, not in the short term, not at the lesson level, but, but at the slightly more medium to long term in our planning. So let's have a listen to this discussion, which we've repurposed from a resource that we made for our student teachers. Um, so you may you may realise that it sounds like we're talking to our student teachers sometimes yeah, sometimes during this, but we've repurposed it into a little package for you, which discusses this chapter. What we want to do now is we want to look to a source um, by somebody called Mary Myatt, who some of you will be familiar with. She's got a background in RE education. She's a, a primary uh, RE teacher. And we actually saw her deliver a really quite powerful keynote speech at uh, Research Ed Cymru a few weeks ago. Gosh, that seems like a distant memory now, Tom, it doesn't really it? It really does, yes. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we wanted to give you just a cross section of insights into a chapter from Mary Myatt's book, The Curriculum, Gallimaufry to Coherence. And I, I looked up Gallimaufry. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I didn't know what that meant. And it actually means confused jumble or medley of things. So she's saying the curriculum from a confused jumble to coherence. So without further ado, we're going to take you through each subsection of this broader section on curriculum planning, starting out with section one, which is indeed entitled curriculum planning. And what I like here is that she says we've got the luxury now of asking ourselves why a big overarching question of why um, before we then start picking the what 
so that we can start building our roadmap. And you can see that she actually makes quite a strong argument on the second page of this chapter um, against the idea of concentrating on the individual daily lesson plan, which I'm sure will be music to the ears of all of you doing the PGC who've been producing large numbers of daily lesson plans up to this point. And of course, she makes the point, Mary Myatt makes the point that they are a brilliant tool, daily lesson plans for when you're being coached. So when you're new or when you're struggling with things, um, but that the aspiration is to move away from that and see a bigger picture. And, And of course, the guidance that we've given you in relation to the way that your lesson plan would have evolved on the program was exactly that yeah totally agree really strong case um she's she's really good on her metaphors is mary and um as tom said at the start she gives a really lovely metaphor of the kind of medium term plan as a roadmap. So um, those big questions about, you know, the what are we learning and the why and thinking about, you know, where's the destination of this of this medium term plan? Where are we headed and what routes do we need to take in order to get there? I thought that was a really nice analogy that resonates quite a lot with the AOLE documents and the, and the, the um, what matters statements that we've got in place. And Tom's absolutely right. There's really strong conjecture in there about, you know, why individual lesson plans actually, when you get a little bit further into your career, aren't necessarily a very good indicator of progress and of positive impact on learning in the classroom itself. So she kind of says that the best way to get a sense of what's working in the classroom is to get in amongst the learners, speak to the learners, and you'll kind of see the plan in action there. So what we're, I guess we're, we're asking from this chapter is for you to think about moving your planning now from a, a more kind of lesson by lesson basis to thinking about the big picture, to thinking about the roadmap, to thinking about the what and the why, and to thinking about the different routes to getting your kids to whatever that destination is. So next we move on to the next section, which is called curriculum products. Um, I wasn't I wasn't that comfortable with the term products to begin with, but no. <laughs> um, she, she makes a really strong case for curriculum products that have a really clear kind of audience and purpose. She makes a good case for authentic learning. I don't know what you thought about that, Tom. Yeah, that's quite a nice link for us with the new curriculum for Wales, because, of course, Mary Myatt is operating over in England. So we have to be a little bit careful with some of our English uh, kind of terminology in here. But the idea of having an authentic context for what we do, for the products that the pupils create, having a clear audience and purpose. I've, I've always really liked that concept as a way of, of uh, motivating the pupils to produce some better things. Yeah, so she talks about, you know, thinking about a real world audience for their work. And, you know, I think that's that's quite easy for us in, yes. in our respective um, subject. But she, she talks about, you know, having links to authentic context for learning. So she gives the example, something authentic to share based on solid foundations of deep knowledge. So she's saying that, you know, when it comes to them sharing it uh, more widely and having it, having a kind of, even if, even if it's a fictional audience for the product, of what they've been doing they actually have to have built that upon some really solid foundations of deep knowledge first she also um, makes a big case for moving away from just demonstrating things doesn't she to modeling them in a much deeper and more meaningful way which is something that I'm really coming around to as a concept in all subjects 
Yeah, she she gives the example of writing and how uh, much, again, lovely, lovely metaphor. I noticed a lot of food metaphors in her work, actually. She talks about somebody else saying you wouldn't, you know, talking about exemplars um, and how you wouldn't just show, you know, in, in the culinary world, you wouldn't just show people a picture of duck a l'orange and, and let them taste it and then say, right, okay, now go off and you can make it. Um, and she kind of makes the link there to pupils' written work. It's no good just showing them an, an exam, exemplar. And I guess we could link that to, you know, a piece of, of music. You could uh, link that to a performance, a monologue in drama that's been fully rehearsed and performed. You wouldn't just show them that and then expect them to know how to immediately do it. You've got to break it down to his composite parts. You've got to model it. And there's got to be a hell of a lot of practice for them to get to that product um, that she's talking about. I also saw quite a lot of parallels here with um, Rosenshine's Check for Understanding. How do you fully know as a teacher that our kids and your kids really have mastered, understood um, a skill or a concept unless you properly check for understanding? So she talks about oracy in the classroom here and how um, sometimes we'll take, we'll accept a half answer from a, from a pupil. And even if it's not really deep, full and, and we don't fully understand whether we check for understanding we move on probably because we're, we're pressed for time she talks about pace later on but I thought this was a really good point about what what kind of answers matter what are we placing weight and reverence on when it comes to people's kind of verbal responses I also think I don't know maybe this is just me but with the modeling and that sort of deep questioning and checking for understanding I wonder if a lot of us are, gui- are guilty of doing that really really well at key stage three and maybe just coming off the pedal a bit with key stage four and five particularly in terms of just loading them down with model answers and that sort of thing and, and maybe not taking the time for a proper discussion as some of us have may- maybe get a little bit didactic once we've got a GCSE or A-level class in front of us and perhaps more of the things that we're very very good at lower down the school should be retained once they they transition through to those higher key stages yeah i think that's a really really good point so curriculum products ultimately you know if you want them to be really quality and as she says in the next session if you section if you want them to be kind of beautiful work you've got to demystify the process you've got to give them lots of practice you've got to model it break it down but you've also got to give it some kind of weight by giving it a real sort of authentic purpose to make it have value for the learners okay so then we move on to um, a subsection entitled Beautiful Work. Um, and she talked a lot about this, actually, um, in her talk at Research Ed Cymru. Where she makes some really good points about challenge in that talk. And she, she says that when pupils have experienced producing beautiful work, they've kind of set a precedent for themselves and they've felt the outcomes. They've lived them. I, I, I just thought it was a really interesting notion, actually, that something happens inside of us when we've produced something absolutely fantastic and and how we then feel about ourselves and our capabilities. There's a theme running through a lot of what she says, isn't there, that we should maybe consider doing less, but spending a lot more time over it and doing it better. And I really quite like that idea that we we jettison some of the kind of dead wood out of our schemes of work in order that we can actually spend some time to produce something that is really genuinely impressive. Yeah, it's it. I mean, if we're sticking with the food analogy, it's moving away from fast food curriculum. She talks about banquet um, a bit later on in this chapter and how 
we we lay out a banquet in front of our learners of of lots of different things and they have a little nibble at each but they don't really get to kind of indulge in each fantastic new complex course so Tom's right it's about kind of doing more with less but the less make sure that they're really really quality stimulus materials curriculum materials so she makes a strong case um, for good quality resources in art she gives a nice example here she talks about a school who um, gives professional kind of pastel um oh what, what are they pastels 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 <laughs> <laughs> to uh, to pupils she went to a primary school and they've got these really beautiful artist pastels that they, they're using and she asks the teachers why and they say well when we tell the children that these are what real artists use they respect those things more as well and it has an impact on on their work and this got me thinking about exercise books you know and and it may seem to some teachers that it's a little bit onerous to be insisting that pupils take pride and and take time to make their books look good but actually that can have a real knock-on effect to how a, a pupil feels about themselves and their work Definitely. And uh, there's a Ruth Wright article called Kicking the Habitus, uh, which is 2008 or 2009. I can't remember off the top of my head which. But she speaks to pupils about whether they see what they do in music lessons as being real music. And she finds a strong correlation in there that basically they don't see it as real music if they're forced to play on plastic recorders and tuned percussion and, you know, dodgy old hand percussion from a box and all that kind of thing they see it as real music if they get to play on the instruments that the bands that they listen to on their phones play with so you know real guitars and drum kits and things like that so I think there probably is an analogy in all subjects there that if we give the kids the real authentic there it is the word again tools for the job they're going to feel that what they're doing is real yeah I totally agree and and from a drama perspective you know that's you know seemingly innocuous things like when we choose to introduce them to the props cupboard if they've just got carte blanche access to it they're not necessarily going to be making really precise choices about what props they use how they use them when they use them and the kind of respect they should have for the props that that you've curated carefully as a drama teacher in your department so really important and, and she, she makes a nice point at the end of it. She says, raising the significance of quality work raises the game overall. She says, it's a question worth asking. What do standards actually look like when met with integrity, depth and imagination? So when you're planning whatever resource it is that you're planning for, for this project, you know, ask yourself, what does a really high standard piece of work in relation to this resource look like and how is the resource helping them to to achieve that sense of depth integrity and imagination and I suppose the next section kind of we know what's coming next don't we there's a there's a section of the chapter that basically says if we're going to do all of those things we're going to have to slow things down Yes, curriculum pace. So she says, you know, in in a fast paced curriculum coverage, task completion is privileged and held in higher esteem than deep understanding. Those are those are my kind of summary summary words of of what Mary Myatt is saying. So and and the security of content. So if we're working fast, we actually don't know how secure they've they've got the content down we don't know how deep their understanding is and actually what we we focus on is have they completed the work have they completed the work not necessarily to what extent have they completed the work 
she says that like some things in life and it obviously in education take and deserve more time um so the example i came up with from a drama perspective here was analyzing play texts this is a really delicate and complex interplay of content style and form so actually we ought to slow down um how we work with pupils and play texts how we unlock and build up layers of knowledge and understanding of what a playwright is doing in the text and how that translates into practical embodiment um, and interpretation of what's going on in the text that takes more time deserves more time and this is one to have a little deep think about isn't it because as she makes the point on page 48 we spend all our time saying pace 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 don't let the pace drop don't let things get kind of boring um, but there's a difference isn't there between those sort of moments where everything sags in the kind of uh, single lesson context and the idea that we are going to just stick on a topic or stick with a with a piece of work and really look at it from all angles those are two different you know pace at different sort of levels the micro level and the macro level it's important not to confuse those two things yes yes at the micro level, I like the way she kind of talks about taking the time in a lesson to talk about unfamiliar words, contextual details, etc. You know, I'm, I'm thinking from a maybe from a music perspective, you know, how much time is spent kind of building up the context around a composition. Is that important? And what new respect, understanding will will a learner get? Um, and I, again, I can I can I can link that to to drama as well. You know, how much more will they respect Shakespeare's work if they've understood the context that he was working in when he was writing at the time? And how how much more informed will their decisions be when they then try to interpret it um, for a modern audience let, per se? Yeah, there's definitely loads of interesting said at the moment about this idea of the canon, isn't there? These great works that we are encouraged to look at with the pupils. And of course, we've sort of stripped them of all of their context, dragged them out of their historical place and sort of stuck them on a pedestal, kind of entirely sort of disinfected of all their connections and all their kind of interesting baggage. And that maybe that is partly the reason why sometimes these great works in whatever subject we're talking about, they, they just don't tend to grab the pupils. It's because we've done that kind a bizarre and artificial thing with them mm, absolutely so as she says everything we do should be getting to the heart of the matter um so you know in relation to what tom just said it's about kind of really going deep trying not to decontextualize because you know nothing is created in a vacuum particularly in art um so understanding how artists were responding to that moment in time is is a really important thing to uh, reveal um for our learners she talks again about fewer resources but in greater depth so i'm thinking about you know stimulus material in drama here you know, how much time do we take helping kids to understand and get to the heart of the stimulus material that will be the springboard for their ideas for creating their own devised works? And finally, she talks about the final piece of the puzzle, I suppose, if we're going to talk about going deeply into things and producing beautiful outcomes from the pupils. And that is the fact that it's going to be hard. Yes, absolutely. So she, there's a lovely quote from Daniel, I want to say Kahneman at the, at the start of this oh, yes. uh, section, which says true intuitive expertise is learned from prolonged experience with good feedback on mistakes. So again, we've got that kind of, I think for both sides uh, of the subject, um, calling here music and drama, 
process, practice, going through the, the rehearsal process is, is such an important part of, of the success of our curriculum products. So actually the effort that, and time that we take during that important part of the learning process is shouldn't be skipped out and actually needs to be explicitly taught to our learners. My, my bugbear, as my drama lot will know, is the devising process and where children are you know, left to their own devices and expected to just be able to create a play from scratch without that process being um, very, very carefully scaffolded with lots of feedback and lots of opportunities to show work in progress. Yeah, she makes a really nice point about the fact you do need the scaffolding there because you're going to waste loads of time and you know produce loads of absolute rubbish, I guess, uh, if you don't have it there. But And then you need to be really careful about how you remove it so that it's not still there at the end and people are not all producing very, very similar things. I think we've probably got an advantage in music and drama that we've, we all always know from day one that we're going to have to create an atmosphere in our classrooms where it's okay to get stuff wrong because you know in our subjects people fail very publicly in front of their mates and and so we're kind of very good at that but something where we always need to be a little bit careful I think isn't it is this balance between allowing creative freedom but keeping it in in such a way that it's not just a total free-for-all because both ends of the the kind of continuum there both extreme ends are going to produce really low quality outcomes yeah yeah absolutely and and she and she comes back to time again doesn't she and and space at the end uh, of this chapter and she she talks about you know when something is something complicated is expected to be covered in one or two lessons it's very unlikely that expertise can be developed it makes a bit of a profound case I think for the frequency of of our lessons you know we're actually expecting quite a lot of our learners in drama and music to be able to to really kind of deeply immerse themselves in a in a process to produce a really great product when sometimes they're only with us once every fortnight so you know I, I i get on my pedestal a bit here i don't know whether you feel the same tom it's it's definitely difficult there's definitely a logistical process involved in making sure they don't forget stuff between lessons yeah but she makes some uh, some really nice closing points in the chapter doesn't she about the, the the way that this will then allow the pupils to deal with new and unfamiliar situations and make new connections and i think that's where we see that she's actually got a lot to say to those of us who are wrestling with uh, ideas around the new curriculum for wales just looking at that side of things for a minute as well as helping us get our heads around how to effectively teach that really high level stuff at Key Stage 4 and Key Stage 5. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely quote here. Without the deep work, so, you know, really going deep and allowing time to think deeply uh, about the kind of foundational stuff in our our subjects, the new knowledge floats around without any organising structure to it. So what might seem time consuming at the start is actually an investment in time so that when more detail and knowledge is added, it links to existing earlier knowledge, which is held together in the deep structure. And, you know, we talk about the elements of music and the elements of drama, you know, having a deep understanding about where they come from and why they matter, I think, is absolutely fundamental to them being able to use them and understand how other artists have used them down the line. So those were some of our thoughts 
our words of wisdom, our reflections on the fantastic work of Mary Myatt, who's given us lots to chew over, who's hopefully given you quite a bit to chew over too. And for those of you who are in the latter stages of a teacher training programme, it might be a useful resource for you to start thinking about moving from a really kind of lesson by lesson focus on planning towards some of those big juicy questions when you've got a little bit more autonomy and sway over the curriculum decisions that you make for you, your learners and maybe your department too. So I suppose we could say we're we're just living through an enormous something to try slot from the podcast <laughs> that's been <laughs> imposed upon us with absolutely yeah. no warning whatsoever. Yeah, I guess we have. So I suppose we talked a lot about well-being. We've talked. Uh, we've got an enormous something to try. And I guess the um, the what we've been reading is is Tom Sherrington. Definitely have a look at that blog entry. It's called "Setting Work for a Long Haul Shutdown." This b- was released on the fifteenth of March. So take a look at uh, at his blog spot. That's teacherhead.com. So to sum up, then be realistic. Keep communication simple and routine. Um, Think about, you know, keeping everything in one place. Be quite critical about what's out there. Um, you know, don't use it unless uh, unless it's it's worthwhile. I guess be realistic about what you can do to help as well, because although everybody's yeah. offering to help, and just be careful you don't overload yourself when you have potentially got a family to look out for and you know people to take care of. Yeah, wash your hands, all of that jazz too. And listen to the um, podcast. Stay safe <laughs> and listen to the podcast. Yes. Yeah, keep calm and listen. Here's to the, the chance podcast. to listen to that two-hour curriculum design episode that we put out a few weeks ago. If you've been putting it off (laughs) it was good Uh, it was go listen to it now everybody (laughs) all right take care and we will be back with one of our normal episodes uh, in two weeks we hope that was emma and tom's pgce podcast presented by emma thayer and tom breeze the tom sherrington blog we discussed today is entitled setting work for a long-haul shutdown and can be found on his excellent website teacherhead.com The book chapter we were talking about was Curriculum Planning from the book The Curriculum, Gallimofri to Coherence by Mary Myatt. You can hear our exclusive interview with Mary Myatt from Research Ed Cymru on the podcast in a few weeks' time. We'd like to take this opportunity to salute our student teachers who dealt with the sudden end of their final school placements and a wholesale move to remote teaching and learning at the university with such resilience and good grace. Thank you and take care of yourselves. We'll continue putting out podcasts as usual, so we'll be back in a fortnight. In the meantime, take care and enjoy whatever you're doing.